but I'm thankful for all that he does and that he saved me. It is a blessing. I'm thankful for this country. And I know that there are those who perhaps would not be uh, so thankful, but really, when you consider our heritage, uh, you must be aware that God has moved in the history of the United States of America. And if you've ever traveled outside this country, you surely realize there is no place like the United States of America and uh, it makes you even more thankful. We said the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. You know this as well as I, written by a New York Baptist pastor, Francis Bellamy. Uh, we sang My Country Tis of Thee. You also are aware that it was written by a Baptist pastor, Samuel Francis Smith. And much of our government and the things which are practiced, we we owe to uh, the Word of God, to Christians, and uh, particularly uh, to Baptists. Here he is. Now, we're going to preach Bible this morning, and uh, I'll give you a little bit of history about our country because we are celebrating its independence, but here is a biography of Benjamin Franklin. Our young people are being taught today that the Founding Fathers were atheists, agnostic, infidels, uh, deist, and that's a lie. Don't know how else to say it. There's not a, uh, not a nicer way of saying it. That's just a lie. Uh, here is the biography of Benjamin Franklin. They especially like to uh, disparage this man for some reason. I'm not sure why. This biography was written by New Yorker and Jeremiah Chaplin. Jeremiah Chaplin was the first president of the Baptist School in Maine, today known as Colby College. He later became president of Hamilton, which is today known as Colgate. In fact, he is buried there in the cemetery at Hamilton. He did write what is the official biography of Benjamin Franklin and records this concerning events that took place in May of 1787 in Philadelphia. And the country in its early years had moved from the Articles of Confederation to the Constitution, which we have today. And that's our governing document. But they had to decide what to do. What are we going to use? for the United States as our form of government. And by the way, they did not choose communism. They were aware of it. Uh, they did not choose socialism. They were aware of that as well. Uh, but we are a republic uh, that practices a democratic form of government and we flourish through capitalism. And that's all of the Lord. But they're hammering all this out in 1787. Just 10 years old the country is at that time and they can't get it right. They are debating. They have disagreements on how to govern America. 
what to use as our legal documents. And when they had debated for a number of days, they carried, now Franklin was unable to walk, they carried Benjamin Franklin to the front and he addressed them. And here's what he says. The small progress we have made after four or five weeks, close attendance and continued reasoning with each other, our different sentiments on almost every question, several of the last producing almost as many nays as A's is, methinks, a melancholy proof of the imperfection of the human understanding. We indeed seem to feel our own want of political wisdom since we have been running about in search of it. We have gone back to ancient history for modes of government and examined the different forms of those republics which, having been formed with the seeds of their own dissolution, now no longer exist. And we have viewed modern states all around Europe but find none of their constitutions suitable to our circumstances. In this situation of this assembly, groping, as it were, in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understanding? In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for the divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. To that kind providence we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we no, no, no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. And I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial local interest. Our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves shall become a reproach and byword down to future ages. And what is worse, mankind may hereafter, from this unfortunate instance, despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave it to chance, war, and conquest. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers, imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business, 
and that one or more of the preachers of this city be requested to officiate in that service. That was Benjamin Franklin. And uh, doesn't sound like an atheist to me. Or an infidel or an agnostic. Uh, the man knew the Lord. Baptist preacher Jeremiah Chaplin here recorded those things uh, for us. And that's the reason why still to this day, whenever the Congress Senate of the United States of America opens, the first thing they do is pray. That's the reason why. There are people who want to do away with that. But let's hope that that doesn't happen. And um, praise the Lord for those of our founding fathers who knew the Lord. They sought him. And not just in their own lives, but in the life of this country. And if you have now Genesis 22 before you, we will read verses 4 and 5. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass. And I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask your blessing upon it. I need your help to preach. God, as we look together into the scriptures, Lord, may you, may you impress upon our hearts the truth that we see. Lord, we thank you for hearing and answering prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I do want to speak to you this morning on the resurrection as found in the Old Testament. You know, there was a group of people known as the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection. In order to reach their conclusion, they had to deny their own scriptures because the truth is taught throughout. And here is one of those places. Abraham was commanded by God to take Isaac and to offer him as a sacrifice. And yet he says, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Abraham understood as the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews 11 that if he offered Isaac as a sacrifice, and I believe he would have, that God would have raised him from the dead, and the Bible tells us that. Hebrews 11, verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. And so the Bible, being the best commentary upon itself, tells us that Abraham believed God had the power to raise Isaac from the dead. We look to 1 Samuel chapter 2. In this passage of scripture, we find a prayer from a grateful mother who had just left her son at the temple in the service of the Lord. 
And 1 Samuel 2 verse 1, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased, so that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he hath set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Quite a prayer, isn't it? And in that prayer, she acknowledges that the Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. She acknowledges the resurrection and also judgment there in verse 10. And it's interesting as you read the scriptures, you'll often find connected with the resurrection, judgment. And of course, you will find in scripture that when scenes of the resurrection are brought before us, then you will find afterwards the judgment. We find there in 2 Kings chapter 13, you remember as the Moabites are coming into the country making war, one of them dies and they cast him into the sepulcher there where he touches the bones of Elisha. And what happens? He rises again from the dead. Just simply by touching the bones of that servant who had been used so much for the Lord. We go then to the book of Job. Job 14. And we examine scripture on this subject. I know that you are Bible believers, but there are many, even some who confess to be Christian, who do not believe the resurrection, and some who do not believe the events that the scriptures teach that surround the resurrection of the dead. And uh, it's good to be reminded, just as it's good to be reminded of uh, this country's history, uh, so it's good to be reminded of what the scripture teaches. And Job 14, this oldest book of the Bible, teaches us concerning the resurrection, beginning with verse 10. But man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost. And where is he? As the waters fail from the sea and the flood decayeth and dryeth up, so man lieth down and riseth not till the heavens be no more. They shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. 
Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave, that thou wouldest keep me secret until thy wrath be passed, that thou wouldest appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. So Job understood that there would be a resurrection, but Job did not know when. But you Bible believers know, for we turn over to the New Testament once again to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the resurrection chapter in God's word. I remind you of what Job said, if a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. He knew that there was an appointed time that he had to wait until his body would be changed, but he didn't know when because God had not revealed the when at that time. But he revealed that mystery to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. When? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And so the Apostle Paul is used by God to reveal the when. Whenever the time would come, whenever the change takes place, and you Bible believers understand that it's at the rapture, as the Bible refers to it, his appearing, when he returns and raises the saints from the dead and receives us into himself, and we return with him to glory. Job believed the resurrection. He just didn't know when it was going to take place. The apostle Paul was used to reveal that great truth unto us, and in Job 19, the Bible tells us, beginning with verse 25, another confession of Job. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. He understood that he would see the Lord himself when it came time for him to be raised from the dead. And that's the same way it is with us, folks. We're going to see him one day. And we're going to be with him for all eternity when our resurrection happens. You know what the scripture teaches there in Psalm 2 and verse 7, where the Bible reads, I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. You do remember that the commentary upon that passage of scripture is also in the New Testament, Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 and verse 33, the scripture tells us, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And we do understand verses like John 3 verse 16, uh, where the Lord speaks of giving his only begotten son, as that declaring not the birth of Christ, but the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And so that is alluded to there in Psalm 2 and verse 7. Again, in the book of Psalm, Psalm 16 and verse 9, 
Psalm 16, verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And again, in Acts chapter 13, you find the commentary upon Psalm 16, verse 34 of Acts 13. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore, he saith also in another Psalm, that's Psalm 16, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption and as the lord jesus christ rose from the dead and become the became the first fruits of them that slept and the first begotten from the dead the first born from the dead so will we be raised from the dead because we believe on the lord jesus christ as our savior psalm 17 and verse 15 the bible tells us as for me I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. And is that not a companion passage to the book of 1 John chapter 3? Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God that doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And we are just like the psalmist in that regard. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. I don't know of any saint of God that will be dissatisfied when they're raised from the dead. No, we're going to be satisfied. Why? Because we won't be like we are now. We're going to be like him. And praise the Lord for it. We go to Psalm 71. In the 71st Psalm, uh, the Bible tells us, beginning with verse 19, Thy righteousness also, O God, is very high, who hast done great things, O God, who is like unto thee. Thou which hast showed me great and sore troubles shalt quicken me again and shalt bring me up again from the depths of the earth. There again is talk of the resurrection. That is also an Old Testament passage that talks about the rapture. For that's when the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints will be raised from the dead. It's when the Lord returns for us prior to the tribulation period. And we can see often in scripture, we go to John chapter five, but often in scripture, the terms the quick and the dead are used in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ being the judge, not only of the quick, that's those who are alive, but of the dead, those who are not. And in John chapter five, the Bible tells us in verse 20, for the father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. And so he is the one who quickeneth the dead. And we look forward to that time, Psalm 75. Psalm 75, another place that speaks of 
the rapture in the Old Testament. It speaks of the resurrection. Psalm 75, beginning with verse 6. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one, and setteth up another. Now, if you have a modern Bible version, you'll never see this truth in there. But thank God we have a, a perfect Bible in this King James Bible. For promotion, now tell me what's left out here. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. North. So promotion comes from the north. And uh, that's the direction the Lord Jesus Christ will return from uh, whenever he comes back to this earth. And uh, how do we know that? Well, that's where he is. He's in heaven. And what does the scripture tell us in the 48th Psalm? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God and the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north the city of the great king. And so when he returns for us in the rapture, he is coming from the north. Now, he's not coming uh, from the east. Now, you can walk into just about any cemetery anywhere that uh, was a church cemetery and they will have the heads of the bodies buried in such a way that they're looking to the east. Why? Because they did not rightly divide scripture. They confuse the scripture over there in Matthew chapter 24, which is talking about his second advent with the rapture. And there in Matthew 24 and verse 27, the Bible says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. That's second advent. And when he returns in the second advent, after the tribulation period, to establish his kingdom, he is coming from the east. He's going to follow the same path uh, at the second advent as Joshua took going into the land of Canaan, conquering it, and entering into Jerusalem. Lord Jesus Christ is going to do that. And he's coming from the east to the west. And when he gets to that eastern gate there in Jerusalem, which is currently walled shut, he will open it. Uh, but... Uh, the saints who are buried looking toward the east are not going to be disappointed <laughs> because he's coming from the north. Because <laughs> it's going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And it's just a mistake that people made because they didn't rightly divide the scriptures. But promotion cometh from the north. And you've got a southerner looking forward to that northern event. And uh, praise the Lord. Uh, Psalm 118. Psalm 118, uh, here is one of those passages of scripture that you'll find on bumper stickers, magnets, that's on refrigerators, postcards, uh, greeting cards, whatever, and it's almost always used out of context. Sorry, but it is. <laughs> anyway, uh, Psalm 118. The Bible tells us in verse 22, the stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That's the verse that's almost always taken out of context. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You look over in the book of Acts chapter 4 and Peter is preaching 
And you know what the Bible is talking about there. But Acts 4 verse 10, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, and whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is a stone. Now he references Psalm 118. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so right in the middle of that message, Peter is going to reference Psalm 118 verses uh, 22 through 24. And this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Well, you know what this day is, uh, July the 4th. And this is a day where America rejoices because uh, we were able to gain our independence. And uh, we have freedom. We have liberty. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it is not talking about today. Whatever date it is. Uh, it's not a verse that you quote when you get up in the morning and talk about, uh, I'm going to rejoice today uh, because the Bible tells me to. No, that's talking about one day particular in the history of the world. It's talking about the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what it's talking about, the resurrection. And folks, doesn't that make sense? That's where we find our rejoicing. If in this life only we had hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But because we have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only today, but for all eternity, we can rejoice in the fact that he lives. Because he lives, we live. And we rejoice in the resurrection of the Lord. Isaiah 25, uh, we look to uh, that portion of the scripture. And here is a prophecy in Isaiah 25, verses 7 and 8. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. Verse 8. He will swallow up death in victory and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. Isaiah didn't understand what he was prophesying, but he prophesied there about the rapture, the resurrection, and then the end of the kingdom, all in one verse. And very often that's true about Scripture. You'll find different time periods referenced in the same verse, but he will swallow up death in victory. That's talking about the rapture. It's talking about the resurrection. Preacher, how do you know that? Again, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and we'll take up reading where we left off earlier. We'll read, begin with verse 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written in Isaiah 25 and verse 8, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what Isaiah was prophesying there was concerning the resurrection of the saint. It was concerning the rapture of the saints. And again, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 26 
In that chapter, we begin reading with verse 19. Isaiah 26, verse 19, Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in dust. For thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. And so uh, the resurrection is referenced there as well. In this particular passage of Scripture, it's talking about the second resurrection. The resurrection unto damnation, as the Bible refers to it there in John chapter 5, verses 28 through 29. But still a resurrection. Sadly, not everyone that is raised from the dead will be raised to eternal life. There are those who refuse to believe in God, whose bodies lie in their graves that will be raised to the judgment at the great white throne. And it's called there in John chapter 5, the resurrection of the unjust and the resurrection to damnation. Again, in Isaiah 53, uh, once again in the book of Isaiah, familiar chapter here, talking about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, but even beyond that. Isaiah 53 verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. As the Lord was dying, he saw his seed. Uh, the Bible tells you that in Hebrews chapter 12. For the joy that was set before him. And what was that joy? That people would be saved and would be able to live because of his death. And the scripture tells us the cross reference for that is in the 22nd Psalm. Uh, that Psalm that speaks more of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ than any other place in the Old Testament. But Psalm 22, the Bible tells us, begin with verse 28, For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. A seed shall serve him, it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. A seed shall serve him. Remember, when he was dying on the cross, it was prophesied, he shall see his seed. And there said in the context of a resurrection in Psalm 22, it tells you who that seed is. We look to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, more truth concerning the resurrection that we find in the Old Testament and how anyone who claimed to be religious could deny a resurrection is beyond me. But how anyone 
could listen to the word of God or read the word of God or receive a, a witness or a, read a gospel track or a, a John and Romans and not see that there is a resurrection of the dead and that there are two resurrections, one for the just and one for the unjust and not prepare their soul for those events is beyond me as well. I just don't understand. Ezekiel 37 and beginning with verse 1, the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. Don't anyone start singing the old song, uh, but this is where it came from. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel." Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you and ye shall live. And I shall place you in your own land. Then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. This concerns the nation of Israel. The resurrection of the whole house of Israel. The scripture says it gives you a description of how that resurrection takes place. Bone to bone and sinews and flesh upon them. And then the breath of God coming into them, causing them to live. And folks, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. That very same thing is going to happen to us when the Lord Jesus Christ returns in the rapture. And it'll be no problem. Don't get upset if someone has been cremated and there's, there's nobody. That's not a problem for the Lord. Uh, if, if part of the body is in one place and part in another, that's no problem for the Lord. Uh, the resurrection will take place. It won't slow him down, won't slow you down. And we'll be with him for all eternity. And the scripture there in the book of Daniel, Daniel 12, speaks of the resurrection as well. Verse 1, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was, since there was a nation even of that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. 
And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Again, the two resurrections are prophesied there in the book of Daniel chapter 12. Uh, those two resurrections, I will remind you, you find it mentioned in John chapter 5 and also in Revelation chapter 20. And the Bible says, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Saints, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, what a blessing to know and be assured that you are going to rise again. The Bible teaches it plainly, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old it is mentioned. And I'm looking forward to that time. And perhaps I won't go by way of death and I'll just experience the change. Uh, that might be the way it is. And I hope the Lord Jesus Christ comes to get us and comes quickly. But if there's one here who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, you also will know a resurrection if you leave this earth without trusting in Jesus. But it's not going to be something you want to experience. And so I urge you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Saints, as always, we have reason for great rejoicing. Those who are unsaved, you have reason for great pondering and soul searching and won't you believe on the Lord preacher.